0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for our time together. We thank you that we can gather together and look at your scriptures and learn wisdom from Solomon and the biblical writers. And we do uh, thank you for the message that Bob has for us out of 1 Corinthians. And we look forward to learning about the truth of the scriptures from the New Testament as well. So thank you, Lord, for the freedom to gather together. We pray that it would be edifying to us and it would give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well today, we're going to continue on in Proverbs. We're already in Proverbs 6. We've got 31 chapters, so we have 25 more to go. Um, my plan was, once we get done with Proverbs, was to go to the book of Zechariah and then go verse by verse through Zechariah, which is an important book, of course, for, very important prophet. And so we'll be doing that. So let's begin today, though. We're talking about wisdom for life in this world. And in this section of Proverbs 6, We're going to be learning wisdom that's very applicable for staying out of trouble regarding contractual agreements that can steal our liberty because we end up being put in compromising positions. It also, this section, helps us develop a work ethic. Many of you have heard of the quote-unquote Protestant work ethic, and some of that, of course, is alluded to here in the book of Proverbs. There's also many passages in the New Testament But we're also going to be learning to avoid being a troubling, uh, I'm sorry, a meddlesome troublemaker and someone who is engaged in stirring up strife. Now, I know that doesn't uh, really describe anyone here, but nonetheless, it's good wisdom that we all can learn from. So with that, let's begin today by looking at these four teachings. And in these four teachings, what I'm going to show you is they seem disconnected. They seem kind of haphazard. But I'll show you various phrases that Solomon uses to kind of connect you to the next teaching. So let's begin with the first teaching we're going to be looking at, and that is the call not to rest until you would be free from contractual obligations, which your life and liberty may be contingent upon because you're signing or co-signing someone else's mortgage, something like that. and so. We're going to learn not to slumber until free from contractual commitments that put us in jeopardy. Now, a quick caveat, this section is not going to be teaching us to not be people of our word. In other words, we are to be people of our word. If we say we're going to pay off something, we have to pay this off. What this is about is co-signing for someone else that may or may not pay their debts, and then getting ourselves into trouble. That's what this is about. Now, notice here, I'm going to pull up my pointer. Notice in red the term slumber, tunama, in Hebrew, it links us to the next section because Solomon will use the term slumber again. And many of you probably know this section very well, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, where too much slumber leads to poverty. Remember, go to the ant, O sluggard, that's the section we're going to begin, And so what Solomon does is he connects us by using the term slumber. Here, in the first section, don't slumber until you get yourself free of contractual commitments, co-signing for other people. Here, we're going to learn too much slumber leads to poverty. So that's what he does to connect the sections. He uses the term. Okay, now, there's going to be another connection between verse 11 and the next section and if you have your Bibles open, that's great. If you don't, that's fine. I'll just list what it is. There's a connection in verse 11 where Solomon will refer to the armed man. And there's a little rhyme. The term armed man, man is ish, and the term arm is magan. It's literally the man with the shield. Ish magen. Well, then when you get to verse 12, there's ish aven, which is the wicked man. So ish magen, ish aven they would hear that in Hebrew, we don't hear that. We just hear the armed man and the wicked man. So we don't hear kind of the the rhyme and the assonance there, but that's what he's doing to kind of connect us to the next section. So the third section is all about not becoming the wicked man who stirs up dissension, who wants to divide people merely for personal gain. And I tell you what, this has huge application at a macro level in our society today. Let's just think about it. Just, and I won't mention groups, but think in your mind: Is there any group today that tries to stir up dissension for gain? Hmm. <laughs> Who would that be, right? So, I mean, and it's and it's for us too. We don't want to just, as Bob would say, throw it over the fence to somebody else. We have to think about it in our own lives. But I. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Paul. So anyway, I just think it's very apropos for today's society to think about that. Number four is oh, by the way, what connects us to the next section is the term dissension. the The one who stirs up dissension literally spreads dissension. The term, the phrase in Hebrew is shalah madan. Shalah madan. Shalah is to spread or to stir. Madan is dissension. Then we come to the seven deadly sins, as they're often called. The last one is it's dissension. So that's how we have the connections made by Solomon in this section of Proverbs. Slumber, slumber, dissension, dissension. So again, these aren't conceptually the same. He's using these key phrases to kind of bring the dialogue along. So it's almost four disparate teachings that have the connections with these key words. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that, let's begin the first one. This section, again, warns us about unnecessarily co-signing for someone and therefore setting ourselves up for disaster when they don't end up paying their bills. That's the wisdom that Solomon wanted to give to his sons. Notice he says, Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor... Have given a pledge for a stranger. If you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. All right, now notice in the very beginning... He's warning about his son becoming surety for the neighbor. Now, the term surety there, Arav, has to do with putting up security or cosigning for someone else's mortgage. In fact, let me read. This is from the theological word book of the Old Testament, pretty weighty stuff. And listen to what they say about the term Arav. It means to put up security, mortgage, or to make a guarantee, or to give a pledge, or even give an object or personal security in an agreement to ensure that an agreed future contract in fact happens, okay? So what Solomon is warning his son about is not that you don't fulfill your own commitments, okay? So we have to do that. We have to be people of our word. If we take out a loan, we must pay them. But what he's warning is about co-signing for others that may in fact not pay their obligations and then you're on the hook for it. That's the wisdom that he's giving. Some years ago, Bob wrote an article about the only promise keeper is ultimately God himself. Do you remember for many years there was that movement called the promise keepers? And Bob had pointed out that that was well-intentioned but misguided in the sense that only God alone is the ultimate promise keeper that we can trust. And so human beings do fail. We often fail to meet our obligations. Solomon is telling his son, don't become a partaker in that. Now, notice also the term pledge. The pledge for a stranger, the term pledge there is takah. It literally means the handshake. And so it's the handshake where you swear again on behalf of someone that you will complete their payments or other, excuse me, that they will complete their payments or other legal obligations. Now, notice here how Solomon describes signing or co-signing for someone else. He says, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth... So if you cosign and vouch for someone else, here he says it's like a snare. Why? Because you may be trapped by their lack of faithfulness. Human beings are often faithless. God alone is the one who's faithful. So he says this is like a snare, and you may have done this to yourself, son. You may have used the words of your mouth to put yourself in this trap. Now, notice here, The concern then in verse 3, what does he want him to do, his son? He says, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Dear ones, in Israel, if you fail to live up to a financial obligation, you could be sold into slavery. You could be given over to debtor's prison. And so it was a very serious thing. If you had co-signed for someone and they didn't meet their contractual obligations, you could be held liable. Now, turn your Bibles, if you will, to Nehemiah 5.5. Nehemiah 5.5, if you turn there, I just want to give you an example of what could happen to people who didn't pay their contractual obligations. Now, there's a little bit of a different issue going on here in Nehemiah 5.5, As you turn there, the issue here was a usury controversy. Remember, usury is where you have these illegal actions of people making others pay very high interest rates to keep their land or to keep their home, et cetera. Well, that's what was going on as the people of Israel had returned to their homeland. But the point that I want you to see is that when they didn't meet their contractual obligations, they were sold into slavery they end up going into bondage, and that's the point that you want to see here. So Nehemiah 5.5 5 is showing us, even though, again, this is written 500 years later after Solomon wrote, it's showing you that indeed in Israelite practice, people could be either sent to debtor's prison or made slaves because of failing to oblige their contracts. Notice here, verse 5 of Nehemiah 5, it says, now our flesh, these are the Israelites' complaint. It's like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children, yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already, and we are helpless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. The very high usury rates, the interest rates, were causing these people to go into slavery. If you couldn't pay your debts, you could become a slave. That's precisely what Solomon is concerned Regarding his son, he's concerned with that because if his son co signs someone, maybe their mortgage or what have you, and they don't fulfill their obligation, he could end up being the slave. That's why this is serious. Now, notice here, we see here that the way to get yourself out of that is to humble yourself. Why would the humbling of yourself be something that you would want to do? Well, here Solomon, I think, envisions his son not having pride in saying, well, oh, yeah, we'll be able to pay that when they're just deceiving themselves, but rather go to the owner and say, look, I signed or co-signed this person's obligations and they're not going to be able to live up to it, is to be honest, to humble yourself and to admit you had made a mistake. Notice the term importune means to relentlessly request. You're relentless in requesting, almost harassing someone. You're importuning them to say, Listen, this is a mistake that I made. This is gonna really harm me. And to so harass, in a sense, the neighbor that they will say, Okay, we'll let you out of it. That's what he's advocating. To keep now, again, this is not the scriptures calling you to not live up to your obligations. Again, this isn't you failing to pay the debt. This is you getting out of co-signing for someone else because it's a very bad idea to sign for another human being. So, and I'll show you later that we are indeed called
1: to pay our debts. Uh, Bob, yes. Yeah, uh, this is some teaching that in the 80s, I remember doing a lot of. Yeah, yeah. Because of counseling we were doing and stories we heard. When you co-sign, what happens? It's very common. Yeah. Some irresponsible relative, son, daughter, somebody say, If you don't do this, you don't love me. How are you going to let me suffer like this? Why aren't you going to do anything? And they literally uh, uh, get somebody against their better judgment to do the co signing. Yeah. Well, then once that happens, they go good, and then they don't pay it. And it destroys not only the Credit of the person who was willing to do that, yeah. it destroys the relationship, yeah. Amen. and after all of this destruction, the credit and the relationship, even if you eventually get a result, the same person will come back again and say well you don 't love me or you 'll do this or you don 't love me or you 'll do that right yeah. and uh, uh, this happens so much, and it happens on the street, wow, when we were on twenty fourth and Nicola, that happened almost every day. The doorbell rings and said, well, if you're a Christian and you're godly, then you'll give me whatever it is I want. I said, no, I'm not going to give you anything. And you need to figure out something better for your life than going around pounding on church doors, demanding free money. Go figure something out. And I had meet business cards for community emergency services because they could tell anybody what they qualify for. You go down there, they had Hennepin County, City of Minneapolis, private charities, they had everything available for anybody. And they didn't even have business cards, but we got a laser printer and made them for Uh-oh. them. Wow. And um, here's this, go there. Well, oh, I've been there, they won't do anything for anybody. Uh, Exactly. Therefore, you're a scam artist, you're trying to rob a church, and you're just making your own life miserable. Wow. I don't believe a word you're saying because they'll help anybody and you won't go there, so you're just robbing me. Go away. Wow. And I don't even feel bad about it. Right, right. Because they're trying to create guilt for you so that they can go be more evil than they already were. Right, right. So... 25 years of that pretty well made me impervious. And uh, they're all lying. They're yeah. all running scams. Yeah. Because honest people don't go walking around church, around town, saying, oh, a church, bang, 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 got any free money? Right. Well, they never say that. Oh, I need a bus card. I need this. I need that. And they sell it. Whatever it is, they get their drugs. Yes. So don't do it. Right. You'll ruin, and if it's a family member, don't do it, because you'll end up destroying a family, your own reputation, creating sorrow. Solomon told us the truth. Yeah. Just say, you get credit by earning it by being responsible over many years. Right. Start now. Pay your rent, pay your taxes, be a responsible citizen. When you get old, you'll have credit. Amen. Or maybe most. you won't
2: have credit when you're old. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's a question for both of you guys. What What do you think about all those guys? I mean, it's easy to guilt out a Christian. We're the most gullible people because we're supposed to. You know, it's, so it's easy is to guilt out a Christian guy or a woman. What do you think about all those guys in the corner? You know, with holding up signs, looking for money. What do you guys? What's your response to that? Oh. Yeah. I think we we know what Bob says. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think the next section, the sluggard section, is a good one. Um, The the work ethic that people are called to is very important in the scriptures. And we'll talk about how we as Christians are those who work with the anticipation that one day the curse over the creation is going to be removed. So as we work, we have no illusions that there isn't a curse. There are thorns and thistles, that's for sure. Sure. But we do all that we do, as it says in Colossians 3, as unto the Lord. And we are those who even work in difficulty knowing that one day the thorns and the thistles are going to be removed, and that we're going to be working not for some bad boss, but for the king of kings. And so that's the Christian worldview. And so as the people who are coming to my uh, door or to the window, I'll be kind to them, but I'll tell them that, you know, the work ethic is essential. Um, you know, in, in we, we're going to learn today in 1 Timothy 5 that if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than the unbeliever. And as Paul writes that, it doesn't mean that people can't fall in hard times and that they don't deserve help and then, but there are certainly people who they'll spend a lot of effort. Um, think about the people who you'll hear stealing. There was a group up at, by our cabin that were stealing uh, the, your lead acid battery, your starting battery out of your boat, and driving 40 miles to bring it to a recycling center to get $25. So let's think about how much work that would be. You have to get in the vehicle at night, probably late, because everyone is to be in bed. You have to go to someone's boat. Probably it's on a lift, so you have to crawl in the boat. You have to unhook the 30-pound battery. You have to take that and bring it all the way to your truck and, or whatever vehicle you have, and drive forty miles to a recycling center. Why not just get a job? <laughs> you know that sounds like a lot of work to me. I'd rather go. You know. So anyway, I think that's one of the points that we have to drive people towards is the work ethic. That's exactly what Bob is saying: is that helping people remain scam artists won't help them. It just helps them remain the sluggard all the days of their lives. Yes, Paul. Anybody with this? Any, I've got it. I've got it. i got it. Anybody with a cell phone can dial 211 and get resources. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Excellent. <laughs> yes. We got some back there. We got, uh, I'm sorry, Steve Gretsch. And then we'll go back uh, to um, uh, Susie. Sorry, Susie. <laughs> My Rolodex is slow this morning. It was spinning, but it wasn't.
3: Uh, I gotcha. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I remember those. Hey, I also, it came to mind, I'm sure you're going to cover this, but giving this, the, the problem that we're having is the, the promise with money that you don't even have. We're, we used to be part of churches that would always constantly have these big building fund campaigns, yeah. and they'd bring in people to coerce you to give money that you don't even have. And so somewhere in the New Testament, you could probably tell me, it talks about you know even in your giving that um, to bring to bring it into the storehouse in keeping with your income. Um, do you know where that is? It does somewhere in Ephesians or two Corinthians,
0: two Corinthians nine, eight. So I think
3: the the issue is a promising of some money that you don't you haven't even earned it yet. Yes. So how can, how can you how can you promise money? God says, uh uh-uh. uh.
0: Well said, Steve. Um, you know, I was thinking about God loves the cheerful giver out of 2 Corinthians 9. And remember, Paul says that each one is to give as they've determined in their heart. And again, the heart is the center of the thought life. And so the idea behind giving in the New Testament isn't an emotionally driven compulsion, but one that's thought out in the thought life to say, hey, I think I could handle this much, and then gladfully and cheerfully give it. That's the kind of giving, and that's exactly what you're saying. Not this one under compulsion where you're guilted, as Bob was alluding to, too, with the people coming to the door, but no, one that's thoughtful, one that you've made and prepared in your mind that, hey, I can handle, in my financial situation, this kind of giving. Absolutely. Well said, Steve. Yeah, sorry, Susie. Just a couple things that come to mind in this um, is
4: that Christians really have to be bulletproof to emotional blackmail. Mm. Like, it's just not okay when somebody's using that. I had a sibling that would do that with my mom all the time, and I told her, you have to just stop falling prey to that and tell him to stop using that emotional blackmail on you. It's not love on his end, and he never pays you back. Right. And the other thing with the ones that are on the corner with the cardboard and all that, my kids when they were little would say, Well, if he's so poor, where did he get the marker? <laughs> 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 I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. Sure. But whenever I would offer any of those or on a corner, we're walking by, What if I go get you a lunch and bring it back? Yes. Well, no, I just need cash. Well, I'm not going to give cash. I had drug addicts in my life, and I know what's what going right. to happen with that. But my parents had a really good rule with each other. A, a um, something they agreed to, they would discuss it and pray about it if someone came to them. And if they knew it was a real cause, they would only um, loan the amount of money they were okay with losing. Wow. So yeah. they Very never good. were in a predicament. And sometimes they got paid back and sometimes they didn't.
0: Susie, yeah. that's a really good way of thinking about it. And that even ties in somewhat to the, I think, the spirit of Second Corinthians 9, the cheerful giver. You've thought it out in your mind. <laughs> and uh, I, I can lose this much if it's, it doesn't come back to me. You've thought it out. you It's not under compulsion, absolutely. The one thing we don't want to do, as you're mentioning, is we don't want to enable the sluggard, and we'll talk about that. It's not good for them, and it's not good for us. Um, there are people who are in real need, and we can certainly aid people and give and be generous, but we don't aid the sluggard. If someone has the ability to work, the opportunity to work, we want to in- encourage that. That's the kind of people we are to be, so absolutely. I'm sorry, was there someone else? Oh, Luann, yes.
5: Just real quick because i following kind of on Susie's thing, and I'm glad that she said that using this discernment because under this Marxist government that we have, the land grab on the rural areas is so huge, and Greg and I were, were hearing stories on Thursday evening from several people where they have to use their inheritance to pay for these ditch cleanings and different things, oh. and how they, out in South Dakota, you know, they're wanting to bury this CO2 pipeline, and it's on a land people have inherited or have worked for their whole life as a means of taking care of themselves, yeah. and it, they're fighting to keep this thing. And so we have to be able to hear circumstances, and then, like Susie said, you know, prayerfully consider, and yes. you know, um, and to be able to sort out who is the sluggard and who is well really said. being taken advantage of
0: absolutely well said. It it requires wisdom, doesn't it? And as you mentioned that, think about the book of Proverbs itself. Remember, there's no hard and fast rules. Um, And what I mean by that is we're being given concepts that there aren't, uh, I should say, that there are exceptions to. So some people will look at the book of Proverbs and they'll say, well, look, these are absolute promises. No, there's always exceptions to some of these rules. And so the point is it requires wisdom to discern. What we see in the book of Proverbs are generalities. Without generalities, it mean, if you don't have any generalities in your mind, it means you've made no connections to how the world works. It means you don't have wisdom. But without specific examples, you really don't have enough, to base, enough basis to have generalities. right? So if you're debating someone, for example, and you come up with a general principle have two or three examples that back that general principle. Um, I heard a debate between Elon Musk and some other journalist, and Elon Musk was being charged of being a a racist or something on his podcast, and he asked the journalist, well, can you simply supply evidence for that? And the journalist couldn't. And Elon Musk didn't let it go. He says, so I'm so racist, yet you can't come up with one specific example of what I've said in all of my podcasts for your general assertion. He said, you're a liar. And he told it to, him to his face. And I love that. It's exactly right. What, this, what the journalist was was a professional slanderer. The lighter was from 1 Corinthians 6. People who accuse others of being some evil thing without any basis for doing so. That's called the slanderer. And those people, according to 1 Corinthians 6, who do so will not inherit the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Those who call people racist without any merit or foundation... They themselves are heaping up wrath for the day of wrath. It is an, if you call someone evil things and you have no basis for it, the problem's with you, not the other person. So, absolutely. But thanks for all your wisdom. Very good thoughts and all of this. And I would say a hearty amen to all of it. Absolutely. Now, with that, let's keep going for the sake of time. I'll get through, um, hopefully, all of these today. I think we can do it. You never know. But we'll see what we can do here. Give... No sleep to your eyes, notice it says, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. The point is Solomon wants his son to expedite his extraction from the co-signing contract. That's what he's telling him. And he says don't even slumber while you do it. The term slumber there, again, is going to be used in the very next section for the slumber of the sluggard. Okay, so they're not even being used within the same context, but those are the connections that Solomon uses to bring us to the next teaching. A grand point here that I want you to see in these first five verses is don't co-sign for other people. You end up setting yourself up for disaster. That's what Solomon was relaying to his son. We will learn as we approach the New Testament that we have to be those who owe no one anything except our love. And so we have to be people who do pay our debts personally, but we shouldn't be those who really foolishly co-sign for those who aren't going to pay their debts. I think that's what we're learning here. Okay, so with that, let's go on to the next section, teaching number two here about the importance of the work ethic. This is a very famous section, verses 6 through 11. Solomon says go to the ant o sluggard observe her ways and be wise which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest how long will you lie down o sluggard when you, will you rise arise from your sleep a little now this is the slogan by the way of the sluggard a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest Verse 11, what's the result of their slogan in their life? Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now, first of all, notice here, what is the the example of hard work that the sluggard is to look to? It's the ant. Now, the term sluggard there, atzel, is the one who doesn't want to work. Many years ago, there was a famous song, um, I Don't Like Work, and work don't like me, and then it's talking about being a bum. Yeah. Uh, many of you have heard that, and it's a bum again. Anyway, this guy sings about being a bum and how great it is. There are what? Oh, what's the title of it?
3: It's Hallelujah, I'm a bum.
0: Yes, Hallelujah, I'm a bum. That's right. <laughs> so think about the irony, as Larry, as you say that, praise the Lord, I'm a bum, when in the scriptures we're called not to be a bum. Isn't that ironic? But I've heard that very song. Uh, Michael Medved years, years ago would play that. And that's how I heard it, too. Um, I don't
1: know.
0: Right, right, exactly. So that's something you would hear. But here the sluggard is one whose preoccupation is to get out of work. Okay, so these are the people, as I mentioned, who steal the batteries. They spend a lot of energy and work getting themselves out of work. There is a laziness to that. And so the call to them is to go to the ant. And why is the ant serving as an example? Well, because the ant here even without leadership, does what is required for survival. There is an inherent work ethic in the ant as they build what they need to in order for survival, even without being ordered to do so. And so that's the idea of the sluggard. The sluggard is called to be the self-starter And to work for their own survival. Yes, Brian. Well, you served this one up a big softball for me, and I just got to hit it out of the park.
2: Okay, I work at the post office, I'm a mail carrier, and we are the capital of sluggards. Okay? (laughs) So, in my verse, I would substitute a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to a little break, another break, a little lunch, some more breaks. Okay? (laughs) And, anyway. Very good. That's my life. Right, very good. That's a good. You should write that I told that my boss, he says, well, you work really hard. Why do you do that? I says, well, you're my boss. But I said, the Lord's my ultimate boss. Amen. And then they kind of look at you cross-eyed, and they think you're a whack job, and yeah. on, you, on you go.
0: No, that's very godly. That's very godly. Exactly right. You're working as unto the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's exactly where this is going to drive us to, where even when we work and sometimes you see futility in the work. In other words, it's difficult sometimes you work hard for little gain, we know that one day the thorns and the thistles will be removed. And so because we're the believers, we're the ones who know that that promise is coming. One day there's going to be the millennial kingdom. One day there's going to be the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. So by you saying that, you are witnessing to the fact that the God in heaven is your rewarder, and you're living for that. The sluggards around you are only living for what they can get here and now. So they're belief system or lack thereof is what they're acting on you're acting on what you believe you know your rewarder sees all and so that's very compelling (laughs) right right absolutely there's times for that absolutely yes anyone else on that before i keep moving on about the sluggard here uh yes
3: steve it says to retire in scripture. I don't see it anywhere. Oh, <laughs> very good. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Yeah, I, uh,
0: I don't know of any verse that does, Steve. Very good. Good point. Yes. So notice here, again, the slogan of the lazy. The slogan here is a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, just as Brian had pointed out. Now, what's interesting is the slumber term, again, that's our tu That's what linked us to the previous section. So there, in the previous section, you shouldn't slumber until you're free of your contractual co-signing agreement. Here, you have the slumber of the sluggard. So again, they're contextually different, but that's how Solomon is connecting these sections together by these key words. Now again, here the sluggard has the very slogan of getting out of work and merely resting. But notice the result of it, verse 11. He says, Your poverty will come like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. The first thing I want to point out is notice the like. That's called a simile. Most of you know similes. And I want to mention a simile. If you ever take a simile literally, then you're not understanding the simile. It's not literally that poverty is a vagabond or an armed man but it comes upon you like one. Now, why am I laboring that point? Well, think about the simile where Jesus is being baptized, and it says that the Holy Spirit came upon him or descended like a dove. Some people, I've heard some really goofy interpretations of that passage where they start talking about, you know, the dove and the dove spirit, and I've heard all sorts of strange things. Well, no, it's a simile. The Holy Spirit is not a dove it descended like a dove. That's a simile. So if you take that literally, you're going to be way off in the weeds in some false theology. And so here the vagabond is literally the wanderer, the walker, who just keeps walking and never has a point. But yes, the poverty comes like that. It will come upon them. And even the need comes like an armed man. Now, the term armed man is ish magan. In the next section, you're going to see the evil man is the ish avan and so that's now how solomon is going to connect the two sections by this little assonance and rhyme now the point of all of this in verses 6 through 11 is that a work ethic is important in our culture people need to hear that i think about in um, for example the first timothy 5 passage where if you don't provide for your own family you're worse than the infidel That, I can tell you, is probably a message that isn't often preached in the inner-city churches. Um, How many times do you have families that have been devastated because, in fact, the, the welfare system rewards the father leaving and not even providing for their own family? It's a huge problem. But no, what the Scriptures call us to do is to be industrious, to work hard, and to do all that we can to supply the needs for our family and for ourselves. Now, as I say that, that doesn't mean that there aren't people who genuinely need help. There are. And these people do need to be taken care of. I think about widows. A true religion that God rewards is that we take care of orphans and widows and really those who can't take care of themselves. But for the able-bodied, those who can work and refuse to, this is the call to them. Don't be the sluggard but follow the wisdom that's seen in the creation, even even in the ant. That's the idea. So let me go on to the third teaching here. The third teaching is don't be the wicked man who who looks to spread trouble and strife by dividing people. And here I think there's a very important application, not just to us individually, but at the macro level. Let's read what it says. Solomon wrote, verses 12 through 15, a worthless person, a wicked man is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. Again, notice here the worthless person is also the wicked man. The wicked man is the ish Avan. Before we had in the last section, the Ish-magan, right? So that's the play on words. So here the Ish-avan is the wicked man, the one who does evil. Now the wicked man is looking to create trouble and to create divisions for his own personal gain. That's the context of this section. So the idea behind the wicked man, notice it says he's the one who walks with the perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet. The idea there is with all this signaling, is that there are others in cahoots with him who he is using to devise his evil plan to cause divisions and divide people who normally would be friendly with one another all for the sake of his own personal gain. And that's why when we come down here, it talks about who spreads strife. That's the idea that I think is inherent to this section. There are those who will cause dissensions And divisions among people purely because they can gain from it. Let's think about an example some years ago. How many remember the story of Jesse Smollett? Jesse Smollett is a famous actor. He is a homosexual and he is a black man. What he did is he accused conservatives in Chicago. It was about 20 below when it happened. I'll never forget, I was actually in San Antonio. He accused Trump supporters of attacking him violently when in fact he had paid for Nigerian bodyguards to punch him a little bit so that he could concoct this false story. And so he was the false witness that we're gonna be reading about in the next section of Seven Deadly Sins, but he was doing it to spread strife. Why? Because part of the Marxist plan is to make the artificial division between the haves and the have-nots to create their greater utopia. One thing that always kind of slayed me about this episode was I remember the Chicago Police Department, it was on TV, and they were talking about how dastardly this was, and they said, we think Jesse Smollett owes us an apology. And I thought, now, don't get me wrong, I think it's wrong that the police have to chase down false allegations, that's for sure, But can you imagine, it wasn't the Chicago Police Department that was falsely accused of attacking this man. Who was falsely accused? Trump supporters. Isn't it ironic? The police chief doesn't say, I think he owes an apology to the Trump supporters. They were the ones who were falsely accused. They were the ones who were slandered. And we knew, by the way, many of us, that this was probably a lie because we don't think there are many... Trump supporters that would be out in 20 below zero in Chicago, right? So you knew something wasn't quite right with the story right away. Well, that would be an example of spreading strife for the purpose of personal gain. Yes, Rich.
2: Yeah, to go along with that, thank you for this lesson. This is fantastic. Um, To go along with that, um, so like the accusations, the direct accusations of the steel dossier or anything, you are collaborating with the Russians, you are doing this, oh, whoops, I guess we were mistaken, you really didn't do that. No apology,
0: no retraction, That's no right. nothing, just on to the next accusation. Exactly right, Rich. And it's really used and des- designed to cause strife that's the point of it all. And what we're going to see in the next section of the seven sins that the Lord abhors is one of them is being a false witness, bringing false testimony. Absolutely, it's a wicked thing.
2: When we see our society that one side is going tooth and nail, lies, deception, everything, throwing the kitchen sink at the other side, and the other side is saying, well, we didn't do that. And and there's no retribution. There's nothing. I mean, we can see the handwriting on the wall where this is all going. That's When right. one side is just able to do everything and, and using the FBI for their own evil purposes, and the other side is like, whoops, I guess you're wrong. Oh, well, there's no apology.
0: Well said. Absolutely. What I see, too, is uh, think about how Martin Luther King Jr.'s doctrine regarding race relations has been jettisoned, where we are to judge people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. That's been jettisoned. In fact, if he were to say that in a college today, he'd be labeled a right-wing radical. Okay, But that's been replaced now by this Ibrahim Kendi X who claims that indeed, um, if you believe that People should be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of the skin. You are inherently racist. And so what they're doing now is like at the University of Minnesota, they have segregation once again, where whole uh, different units for housing are dedicated to certain people's race. That's evil. We should never want to return back to that. But again, that's the spreading of strife on a corporate level. We ought not to be about it in the individual level. If we are trying to spread strife amongst people simply for personal gain, whatever that gain may be, we have to repent of that. No, we want to see unity. The one thing where we will put our flag down and say, no, I'm going to contend for the faith is over the truth of the gospel, over the truth of the scriptures. We can contend for the faith once and for all handed down to the saints. We shouldn't tolerate uh, heresy, but when it comes to Just simply dividing people for the sake of personal gain with no larger truth at stake. That's what the Bible is calling us to avoid. Absolutely. Yes, Eric.
5: Yeah, a couple of points. Really, we live in very interesting times, as we all know. Uh, And I just, it's so easy to get discouraged, you know. Barb and I will be talking going like, oh, man, what did you, you know, what's the latest thing? And we'll be appalled. And we, we kind of have developed a saying this is what pagans do, yeah, this is just what they do, yeah, and, and so that verse fifteen, his calamity will come suddenly, yes, instantly he will be broken, and there, see uh, we, we see I think it 's in some of the other proverbs, you know the the, the, the the dilemma where you see the wealthy man prosper, the wicked man prosper, you know, but we should oppose evil i 'm not saying we should not oppose evil, but i don 't think we need to get overly fearful. And, and and despairing. Yes. Um, and then uh, I'll say one other thing. And when we were out with our evangelism group on Thursday night, I had the most extraordinary conversation with a young man. And he was, you know, kind of aware of all of the, of the false narratives out there yeah he's he, he was he had no interest in the bible yeah in fact he said you know my parents know more about the bible than you do and and i and i'm you know kind of rebelling against them the guy was 24 years old yeah but he asked about end times prophecy yeah and he actually recorded i i said to him i told him all of this stuff i mean everything that i could yeah and i referred him by the way to our website with uh eschatology with pastor eric oh sure sure. but but the thing is is that some of this awful stuff that's going on there are some people out there that see it and they're going like something is going on and and they're ready i think to come to faith in jesus christ when it it all adds up for them sure so it's all it's all in god's hands it's easy for us to forget
0: right well said eric thank you thank you very much uh yes Uh, beth Harmon.
4: Um, Just really quick with this, I remember when Barack Obama got people to, he just pushed and pushed schools to have uh, after-school clubs for blacks and separate ones for the Asians, separate ones for Native American, and I remember going, I remember my older sibling and those friends all fighting against all the segregation, and I'm like, this is going to be a terrible setback. It just created so much division, and it's still going today.
0: Absolutely, Susie. We want to be those who don't care about skin color. And it's Galatians 3.28. There's no slave nor free nor Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female. Race, class, gender is is handled in Galatians 3.28. Bob often says there's two races, those in Adam and those in Christ. Right. And that's all that matters. Even Northwestern, when one of mine was going there,
4: they had housing for the Asians. And I yes. always thought, why, why would you do that, you know? That's but, right. Yeah.
0: That's yeah, very, very well said. And that's kind of the, it's the division and the dissensions that they're trying to create. And that's what's so problematic about it. So yeah, this is a very apropos passage for the culture in, th- in which we live. Yes, go ahead, Beth
2: just going back to what eric was talking about yesterday i was listening to one of uh, bob and jessica's uh, i'm kind of a few behind but yeah. it was about the one uh, where moses had the veil over his face and there is n- and then when paul was teaching on that very thing in corinthians there are those now who have a whose faces are veiled because they are the perishing ones.
0: Yes, to the truth of the gospel. the, is the yeah. gospel isn't clear. Yeah. Because they don't like it. Exactly. And that was so
2: good. That was just so helpful to me.
0: Yeah, amen. Well said, Beth. I think about that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, small g, blinds those who are perishing to the truth of the gospel. Absolutely. And by the way, that's a good verse that refutes the amillennialist who today says Satan is bound. Well, if he's bound, then why is he hiding the truth of the gospel to those who are perishing? So absolutely, the, the, the people are perishing don't see the truth. And that's why, as Eric rightly said, they act the way they do. We shouldn't be surprised when pagans act like pagans, but it does serve as strong examples for what we're reading about. The whole purpose of what these groups are doing is simply for the purpose of spreading strife and derision. Absolutely. Uh, anyone else? I'm sorry, was there somebody else that I... Okay, very good. Let me just point out here that one who does this evil thing is trying to spread strife. And the spreading of the strife itself is Shalah madan, and that will be used. The shala is the spreading. Madan is the strife, or the dissension. You could render it as that. That'll be the last of the seven sins in the next section. So again, that's how... Solomon links us from this teaching to the next one. He's using these key words and even some rhyme to connect these various sections. And so again, dear ones, what you and I want to do is avoid being the people who try to stir up needless dissensions with others for personal gain. And I think this clarifies what we see in our culture. The reason why we have people doing that in Marxist circles for personal gain is, as Eric said, they're pagans. The God of this age has blinded them to the truth of the gospel. Let's go to the last one. These are the seven sins, the fourth teaching. And again, verse 16, we're going to see a very poetic way of focusing our attention on seven sins that God hates. Notice he says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, A false witness who utters utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Now, again, verse 16, very poetic way of simply saying there are seven sins that you have to be on guard against. My son, that indeed the Lord hates. And the first one is that of haughty eyes. Literally, the the eyes that are lifted high has to do with arrogance. The arrogance that's depicted in the Bible is, in some sense, really the quintessential sin where people in their arrogance don't see the need and their dependence upon God and, as their Savior. These are the people who believe ultimately salvation is by works, and they work and work and work in their sinful ways. All the Meanwhile, all they're doing is heaping up wrath for the day of wrath. And so, yes, these are haughty eyes and arrogant eyes that don't see any need for God. In fact, later in Proverbs 16:18. It says pride goes before destruction and this haughty spirit before stumbling. Brothers and sisters, what you and I learn from the scriptures is that if we're going to boast in anything, we're to boast in the Lord. Amen. We see that in Jeremiah 9.24 and reiterated in 2 Corinthians 10.17. That's what we are to be proud of. If we are to be proud of something, it's the person and work of Christ. Yes. And so our haughtiness as Christians goes away when we realize that we're just dead sinners. Remember David and his relationship with Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, the shameless one from Lodavar. Lodavar literally means no place. He was a nobody from nowhere. He's crippled. He should be put to death by the king, but instead he's brought to the king's table. And what is his response? Boy, I deserve this. No, he says, who am I but a dead dog that I should eat at the king's table? That's who you and I are. We're dead dogs. And so those who understand the gospel realize that we're just dead dogs like Mephibosheth who eat at the king's table. That's what we are. And so the gospel and the understanding of it takes care of the haughty eyes. Notice the lying tongue. God is the author of truth and lies not only harm people, they're an assault against his holiness and his character. The God who authored life. Is the God of truth. And so think of the very first lie in the garden. The first one was, of course, the distortion the Lord won't allow you to eat of every tree of the garden. Remember that whopper? But then the final whopper, the lie, was where Satan says to Eve, No, you won't die, but you will be like God. And so all other lies really spread from that lie that if you and I rebel, we won't die but that you and I will be like God. Yes, God hates those who misrepresent the truth. Notice the hands of those who shed innocent blood. Those who shed innocent blood are those that God will call into account, as it says in Isaiah 13, in the day of the Lord, he will reveal all those who have shed innocent blood and he will judge them. The shedding of innocent blood is one of the greatest evils that anyone could engage in. In fact, that's exactly why God has ordained government Government is ordained to restrain the shedding of innocent blood. And so that's why when government was instituted in Genesis 9-6, recall, God says, if a man sheds a man's blood, so by man shall his blood be shed. So the institution of capital punishment is to restrain those who would otherwise shed innocent blood. This is reiterated under the New Covenant in Romans 13-4, where the Apostle Paul says, regarding the government... They do not bear the sword in vain. Meaning what? Well, they're ordained to use it. Now, what happens oftentimes, of course, is governments will end up shedding innocent blood. But the goal and the design behind government is to restrain it. One thing I've mentioned over the years is I see in the culture, as cultures become Marxist, the role of government changes from restraining evil to redistributing wealth. And as that happens, they end up doing evil. Look at the death rate. Where is it highest? Well, it was highest in the 20th century under Marxism. The redistribution becomes their key tenet, and then to hold on to power as things collapse, they end up murdering the innocent, the shedding of innocent blood. God will hold into account those who murder the innocent. Notice a heart that devises wicked plans. These are the people who, in the center of their thought life, are thinking about, again the sins that they can engage in for personal gain no matter whom it harms. They don't care who it harms. They don't care how many people they hurt. They are going to be devising the wicked plans. Notice after that he says the feet that run rapidly to evil. The feet, notice how we started by the way with the eyes and the head and then you went to the feet. You went from the eyes to the hands to the feet. What the writer of Proverbs is doing is he's showing us that all the bad, wicked sins begin here. They begin in the mind, and then they go out as how you live in your hands and your feet. That's why he has the order he does. Okay, So that's why, um, for example, in Romans 12, 2, we're called not to be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we think differently, our hands and our feet do different things. They don't live like the world. They live godly lives. So, the Lord hates those whose feet run rapidly to evil. These are people who can't wait to sin. Given the opportunity, as soon as they're out of jail, they're robbing again. As soon as they have the opportunity, they look for evil things to do. That's a sin that, again, is reputed here. Now, notice verse 19, a false witness who utters lies. Remember, one of the commandments that we see in the scriptures is to not bear false witness. We see that, and we also see, remember in the third commandment, what does it say? It says that we should not take upon the name of the Lord in vain. Literally is the way it should be read. We should not take the Lord's name in vain, meaning what? Some people would use the Lord's name falsely as a guarantee of something that they had claimed to do. So it gets back to, they made God the cosigner, right? They made God the cosigner of our agreements, And we use his name to do it and then we fail and we bring disrepute upon his name. But there's another way in which we can bring disrepute upon God's name and that's misrepresenting the truth or we can live in such a way where we bring disrespect upon his name. That's a violation. So in other words, think about bearing the Lord's name. Do not bear the Lord's name in vain. Oftentimes we think of that as just cussing or swearing. But we can live in such a way We bear the name of Yahweh as Christians where people look at us and they say, that's true of Yahweh. That's bearing his name in vain. I think that's precisely the point in Daniel chapter 9 where Daniel confesses the sins of the people of Israel before God. And despite those sins, he says, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, for your people are called by your name. The people of Israel bore his name they lived in such a way where they brought disrepute upon it. That's the idea of bearing false witness, not just against others, but against even God. Notice here the false witness who utters lies. I was thinking of that. Remember that case with... Uh, I'm sorry, Steve, I'll come right to you. Um, do you guys remember the case with uh, Judge Kavanaugh and that Ford, uh, was Professor Ford? What struck me is Professor Ford, her own witness that she called to be on her side said her allegations never happened. She had no credibility. Remember, she got caught by the Pima prosecutor. She says, well, I couldn't come out here because I couldn't fly out east. I'm afraid of flying. The Pima prosecutor says, well, that's interesting. You flew out to Hawaii on vacation, and you flew here on vacation. And what was her response? Well, I guess flying on vacation is a little bit better than flying here. I mean, it was lie after lie. And yet there was whole groups of people that thought her testimony was compelling. I thought, boy, if there's a case of a witness who was uttering lies to destroy someone, you see it right in the open. And dear ones, we can't be the same. We have to be those who represent the truth. Yes, yeah, Steve.
3: I, I, I love this verse when we were first entering into all this stuff back in March of 2020. I just started thinking, you know, what's, what is the church's role in all this? And I think it just kind of tags what you're saying. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, and to make it your ambition which is to eagerly pursue to lead a quiet life i'm so eagerly pursue leading a quiet life make you should mind your own business work with your hands just as we told you so it's okay to be an ordinary christian amen it's okay to lead a quiet life it's okay to mind my own business It's okay to to be to just work with my hands you know you need a reason to get up in the morning and i i my old boss told me that and so just you know we just need a Wait, wait on God, wait on, his, wait on his plan to unfold and get the carcass down the road. <laughs>
0: yes. I love that saying, Steve. Yes, get your carcass down the road. I love that. Absolutely, it's, it's a good thing to live a quiet and peaceful life. Take care of your family, your fellow brothers and sisters, bear their burdens, live a life that's worthy of the king, right? All because of his gracious power in your life. Absolutely, well said. And that leads me to the last one here, the spreading of strife. Again, Shalom Adan, that's what connected us, if I can, that connected us to the last section, the spreading of strife. Again, these are the people who are dedicated to stirring up dissensions amongst people simply for personal gain. Next time that we're together, we'll finish this, we'll get into the New Testament, and what we'll talk about are times where we have to deal with dissensions. In other words, sometimes you and I will be accused of the dissension makers because we contend for the faith. And we'll show you, you know, there are times where we have to contend for the truth. This dissension and strife that's being referred to here is, is strife merely for the sake of personal gain. There isn't some greater truth at stake. It's merely to en- enrich in yourself. That's the idea. So let's not be about that for sure. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for these truths, Lord. We pray that as we look at these various sins and the concepts before us, that we would be people who live lives... That are pleasing to you who are diligent working knowing that we're only saved by your grace that we'd be those who contend for the faith yet not cause strife for the sake of personal gain we pray Heavenly Father for Bob as he preaches to us give us ears to hear and to understand the great truths found in first Corinthians we pray for our time together today as the meal as we celebrate Steve Ziff's uh, eldership and all that he's done for our congregation We pray that we'd have a wonderful time together celebrating he and Cindy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.